This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. And hey, everybody, I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Well, today I'm so excited. We have Emily Lance from the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Tell uh, our audience a little bit about yourself and and your role there at the uh, Wexner Medical Center. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me today. Really excited. So um, like Skip said, my name is Emily Lance. I am one of the assistant directors for supply chain. So I work on our distribution and logistics team here at the main medical center at Wexner. Um, I have responsibility over a few of our warehouse operations, so think supply assurance and IT items. I have our off-site CSS, which is a sterile processing building, where we're building full case carts to transport them from one building to our surgical pavilions. And then I have our automated transport system, which are some of our robots that help to move a lot of different supplies, linen, biohazard, throughout our medical center. And then I have a performance improvement team. So really focused on improvements within our supply chain. So really excited to talk to you guys today about what really that looks like for us at Wexner. No, um, Emily, thanks again for for coming on. You know, I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about this topic. You know, like most physicians and others, we were we didn't have any clue about the importance of the supply chain in healthcare until about three years ago, where we you know, were desperately in need of, of gloves and other supplies that were stuck in China. Um, and then it became, you know, I guess it moved from, you know, a behind the scenes operation into the, uh, the spotlight for a little bit. Um, just to start us off, tell us a little bit about how you got into supply chain. What is what is the background of somebody that does that? Um, what have you know? What have you all learned over the past few years, and where are we now? Yeah, absolutely. So, I actually got my undergrad degree in industrial engineering from the University of Dayton, and so it's located in Dayton, Ohio. Has a great engineering program. Uh, grew up in New York, actually, and so came out to the Midwest, really looking for something different, wanted to see what industrial engineers really did. And when I got to college, I was like, an industrial engineer, like, what do they even do? Like, I don't really want to work on machines all day. Learned very quickly that industrial engineers do a lot of people process and systems improvement. So how do we take people and make them more efficient? How do we remove waste? How do we just get product from point A to point B in the best place possible or the best way possible. So started my career in manufacturing, loved that kind of concept of doing things better than we were doing it before and taking away that, well, this is the way we've always done it. Because that's kind of that answer you always get is, well, we've done it that way. Why would I go and change it? And industrial engineers really come in to help change people, right? Change the mindset. And so love that, stuck with it. Um, Worked in distribution for about two years thought it was great. It was really e-commerce based. So think of ordering off of Amazon, wanting something to show up to your house within a few hours or next day if we're lucky. And how do you make that more efficient? How do you pick it, leave it from the warehouse in the best way possible? Kind of got that taste for consulting um, for about two and a half years and saw different businesses. How do they do things? And saw really a wide range of things. So think aerospace, 
uh, engineering, going all the way through food manufacturing, being able to see how different people did different things showed me a lot of, hey, they do a really, really great job at this in manufacturing. And hey, they don't do a great job at that. And I really wanted to figure out how to help people more than I had been, right? Manufacturing is great. You're producing a part or you're moving a part, but how do you help people? And my mom is actually a nurse. And so I grew up with kind of healthcare in the forefront and how do you care for patients and how do you take that home and growing up as the daughter of a nurse, I knew firsthand what that looked like and I wanted to get a feel for it. So landed at Ohio State um, and first started as a senior the, process engineer. The, the Ohio State. You are correct. It is the, how could I get that wrong? <laughs> but no, it was um, really kind of by chance that I ended up at Ohio State and wanted to get a feel for healthcare and what did that look like? And so started as a senior process engineer in supply chain. I joined in October of 2020, right at the heart of the pandemic. And so everyone always jokes like, what made you think healthcare in the middle of a pandemic was the right place to go? But I knew pretty quick that it was going to be an impactful job for me. I knew I could start from day one and make an impact. And that's really what I was looking to do. So Spent a year in that role and then um, took a promotion to be an assistant director, which is where I am now. But thinking back over the last really two and a half years, we've gone through so much as a country um, looking at the pandemic and what did that look like for supply chain? You know, you said it, you said it best three years ago, supply chain, people were like, what does that even mean? What do they do? And now it's on the forefront of a lot of different things. And um, it's a cool place to be for sure. Let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, there's, I came, most of my career was uh, in uh, high tech manufacturing. So that tends to be my reference point for supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you think that we can still learn in healthcare uh, from other industries when it comes to supply chain? That's a great question. I think um, a lot of manufacturing has figured out their inventory problems, right? They figured out what their SKU profile looks like. For example, they know, hey, I need these hundred nuts and bolts to make something. And I'm not sure we've gotten that fully in healthcare yet, right? We've got all these different varieties of things because we need one specific thing to care or be able to care for a certain type of patient. I think we still have some optimization that we can do to look at Is there a way that if you have two different types of cotton balls, for example, is there really a difference in a generic cotton ball that makes it, hey, we should use this one over this one? And so that's kind of part of what we're starting to think about is with costs going up and with supply chain getting harder and harder to manage, how do we take some of that variability away so you only have to order one type of something, if it makes sense? Knowing that in healthcare, you're always going to have a bunch of variation because you'll always have a bunch of different types of patients that need something a little bit more specialized for something um, that they're going through. And so it's also, I think, leveraging how much do you want to change something compared to how much do you, how much is it okay to stay the same? How about for the last three years? You think about the last three years, Emily. You know, yes, there was definitely a survival, and yes, people rightfully so deserve to be called heroes. 
I don't take any of that away. But when you think about improvement, and, and you and I have a, a kindred friend with Helen, and if she was sitting here, she would say, you know, when we think about improvement, is there one thing that comes to your mind in your work that it wasn't just a survival issue, but you made y'all, the team made significant improvement in your world uh, when it comes to supply chain. Is there one that comes to your mind? There is, and it stands out kind of in that forefront. It's what we call supply assurance. It's um, thinking about products that we need, right? We can't go without it. And what are those items and how do we categorize them? And then what does our plans look like to make sure that we always maintain that stock? So, um, for example, we have a call where we're on the phone talking about um, some of those critical items that we need to keep manufacturing or we need them to keep manufacturing so we can sustain. Um, We also have those items that are more specialized that are harder to get with now longer lead times because of transportation. We're now looking at all of that a lot more than we were two years ago and definitely a lot more frequent than we were four years ago. And so when we say supply assurance, we now have a group of people that get behind us to say, yes, absolutely. That's number one for us. We need it. We can't do without it. What are our other options? And then kind of that whole secondary portion of supply assurance when it comes to what product could you sub in because you can't get that primary product? And we've all now been down the path and um, our clinical partners have been amazing in helping us through a lot of that to figure out, hey, you used to use this product, it was green and it looked like this. We can't get this green product anymore. Is the red product okay? It does the same thing we think. Can you confirm that with us? Here's one, here's a box, here's 50. Can you play with them? Can you see if you can break them? Does it work for you? Does it do what you need it to do? And that's a partnership that we've developed now throughout this pandemic. And I hope it's one we never lose. Uh, that, that was a really great question, Skip. Uh, as a follow-up, you know, a lot of our supplies you know, originate in China or come from China or source from China. And for a long period of time, they were they were pretty closed and it was difficult to get things out from there. Have you all done anything within your group to, you know, to find, I guess, more robust uh, sourcing um, for critical supplies? Or or how do you all go about, you know, when there really is only one place that uh, makes this thing and you desperately need it? Yeah, so I am so fortunate that I have some great counterparts in our clinical sourcing team. They are at the forefront doing exactly what you're talking about. Um, where are we procuring items from? Where are where are our contracts living? Do we have the right contracts? Do we need to think about secondary or tertiary suppliers for those key items that we talked about? Um, I think the example that comes to my mind is contrast media. If you remember a few months ago, yeah. there was a critical shortage on it. And all of a sudden it was, what do we do, right? We need this to care for patients. We really don't want to change our clinical practices because they're best in class. What do we do? And it sent us down this path. And because we've gone through it so many times, it was almost second nature to all of the team, right? The supply chain team, our distributors, our clinical partners, our um, 
interventional radiologists and department chairs that were all on a call together so consistently to say, hey, look, this is the situation we're in. This is how many we have in house. This is what we're thinking we can do. Clinical, does this work for you guys? Is there something you could do to change your practice? Maybe for the next two weeks until we see when the product starts coming in, or is it something else that we can do to make it through this shortage without impacting our patients? And so that call came together. And I mean, people are sharing numbers and ideas of, hey, have we thought about this? And you saw all different parts of the organization coming together to solve one problem. And so um, I think we're definitely now in a point where we're thinking, okay, who else has some of these key products for us? And what do we do next? How do we get better and more robust? Um, we have a yeah. great program, but always room for improvement. So that's interesting. So you have, you have that clinical governance group, I guess, that would come together and share ideas about, you know, what to do about the contrast. We, you know, we obviously are, are, like everybody else had the issue with contrast shortage and yeah, it's only been a few months since we've been able to, to kind of remove this alert that we had in our EHR um, telling the uh, physicians about the contrast shortage, you know, but th- it's every other week that we have another drug shortage. Does your team also work on the pharmaceutical side and, you know, how do y'all deal with various drug shortages? So um, I actually don't technically deal with a lot of the pharmaceuticals. I think the closest we got was contrast media, which falls in that kind of, I'll call it a gray area, just because I'm not 100% sure what else to call it for me. Um, But we have a pharmaceutical sourcing team as well that's doing a lot of that, um, hey, this we're short on this drug, we need this, what else can we do? So lucky that I have some great partners who are 10 times smarter than I'll ever be that figured a lot of this out before it even hit some of us. Well, let's uh, let's talk shop. Let's pick a category that I don't think I had an appreciation of how difficult it was. And maybe y'all can tell me, uh, or uh, Emily, maybe you can tell me some of the great things y'all are doing there. If you would have told me a long time ago how difficult it was to deal with linen, I would have <laughs> said, really? Linen? Just towels and sheets? and But it's a major challenge for multiple reasons uh and and you know you get fined or you get charged when uh the weight that comes in and the weight that goes out doesn't always match so if we were just sitting in a coffee shop talking shop right now how do you how do y'all think about uh the linen process and improving the linen process uh because that to, to the normal person may not seem like a big deal, but would you agree with me that it's a it's a bigger deal than you might realize? Oh, absolutely. Before I started in healthcare supply chain, if you told me that there would be a weekly call for us to talk about linen, I think I'm right with you, Skip. I would have laughed. I would have been like, what do you mean? You talk about, you know, fitted bed sheets and you talk about towels and you talk about newborn blankets, right? Those are not things that come come to mind when I think supply chain and healthcare. Um, and you're right, it's going to consistently be a challenge for a lot of us. And I think um, we've done a few things. I don't know if everyone's doing them or maybe we're just doing them, but um, they so far we're doing an okay job. Um, I think there are days when we're like, all right, we're we've got this. You know, we're doing a great job. And other days where we're like, 
what happened? We didn't change anything, right? It's not like we went in and tried to do something crazy and dramatic to make it all better. We just did exactly what we did the day before and it changed. Um, and so I will say we're probably more fortunate than others because we have an automated transport system. And so that system, we have 66 vehicles or robots that move throughout our medical center and they're helping us deliver a lot of linen and supplies and helping us move, remove some of these waste streams. And so when we look at how do we get linen, which is heavy, if you think about all the towels and blankets and sheets and everything else like pillowcases, right? We actually are fortunate that we have robots that move it for us to the various units. And so um, I think that kind of makes it a little bit easier and makes us stand out a little bit, but we've faced the same challenges. Um, we order to a par, meaning we've set our minimum and our maximum, and that's what we're reordering every day because it's what the data tells us that unit needs. But, you know, we have days where we win and days where we lose. Well, and what's funny about that, as long as we're still talking shop there, you know, you know, you're at, you have to take into factor there the the soiled versus the non-soiled, right? And then we even went, if you would have told me that we were going to go through a process where we take bins and bins of sheets and towels and blankets and we're going to weigh them, you know, the vendor says they weigh X amount and we, and therefore they say there's, you know, 2,000 and we count them and there's only 1,850, <laughs> you know, I would have told, no, I'm never going to sit there and count them. But, but we've done that, right? And, and uh, that's a much more difficult process in healthcare than the average person probably has some level, you know, uh, of appreciation. But, but I think what the pandemic has done for us, though, is, you know, to, to Dr. Lancaster's point, is to put us on warning that we better have a robust process, you know, because there's no guarantee. I know that our listeners aren't going to like hearing what I'm about to say, that, that there's not another pandemic around the corner. You know, uh, that that's not a popular thought, but there's no guarantee that that's not the case. And so what can we learn? I mean, do you agree with that mindset, Emily? I am a doomsday planner and, you know, whether that's the right, wrong or indifferent, I am a planner. Um, I think it's the industrial engineer type A and me, but I'm the person and I appreciate my boss, Brittany, because she's the same. Like we are, okay, you're right. We've made it through um, a really challenging time in healthcare, but how do we get better? Because what if there is a next time? What if we have another issue or what if we have another shortage of raw materials, right? Those single use plastics we had for those nine months where we couldn't figure out a plan, right? There wasn't resin. And you, you know, you used to think, well, I just need my syringe. Well, we had to start educating people on you've got to go back four or five, 15 steps in the manufacturing process to know, hey, it's resin, Right. We're never going to be able to predict that. I would love to think that somebody out there can, and maybe it's the listeners who are like, oh, actually, I totally know how to solve for this. You guys won't have the problem again, but I don't know if that's real. Uh, but how do we plan for it? And what do we do to put um, documentation and work instructions and just our own thoughts down on paper 
so that in 10 years, if something else happens, right, and we've moved on to our next great thing or our next cool role, how do the people in our places or in our positions do this again without having to recreate the wheel? Well, I think one thing, you know, I'm not going to um, agree that we got a, another pandemic right around the corner, Skip. But at the same time, you know, our, the cost for supplies have gone up substantially over the last few years. Uh, and, you know, hospitals are under a lot of financial pressure. So anything we can do to get our processes in order and standardized so that we can make improvements and in, in, reduce the cost of our supplies if possible is going to be essential over the next you know, two or three years if everybody wants to stay afloat. So, so with that in mind, Emily, can you tell us just how your um, process improvement group works with supply chain? What are sort of things you'll look at? Uh, what, are, what are your metrics you follow? Absolutely. Um, so right as I started, we kind of saw this need. We were in a position where we were going to a new, a new ERP system. So we were making the transition and right with transi transition comes really tough changes, I'll call them, but we also had opportunities in those changes. And one of the things we started to look at were our data analytics, right? What did we have from a supply chain perspective that could help us? And keep in mind, this was in the heart of the pandemic. It was January of 2021, where we still had supply assurance issues. We still had high COVID numbers within the medical center. And so we started to look at data a lot more in that January timeframe. So the performance improvement team really got formed, I'll call it, in January of 2021, where we started to look at this data holistically to say, if I'm in a med surge unit, what supplies do you have on your PAR location? Let's say you have 500 items on your PAR location. We started to look at what are really, what are moving quickly? What are moving kind of medium? And what are these high mover items that are flying off of your shelf? We have been doing that for probably 10 years, but in January of 2021, we really ramped it up to say, great, we have this robust data now. What do we do with it? Where do we take that next step? And right now the performance improvement team is doing a lot of that work to say, hey, nurse manager Susie, um, we have these 15 items, for example, that you guys really aren't ordering that frequently. Is this one of the situations where you have a certain patient that needs this type of product, but you don't need to keep it in your unit 24 seven, 365? Would it be something that you could call down and borrow from the storeroom? Or could you um, maybe just remove it altogether because you had a change in your process and now you can use something else, eliminating some of those supply carrying costs that you just don't need because you're never going to use the product. So, and, you know, we talk about it and, you know, Skip had mentioned Helen. Um, Helen was my capstone coach through my graduate school. And so she always reminds me that when you try and teach people something, you've got to tell them the why, right? Why am I suggesting that you remove these items? Why does it matter? And what impact will it have on you short term? And what's that long term impact? Um, we see now if we're like, hey, maybe you're not using this as frequently as you thought you were. Can we get it removed? And we're like, hey, by the way, it's 
$500 a box and you have two boxes on your shelf, there's $1,000 a month that you're not going to order. Um, and then the other thing we've started to see is people are really conscious, especially our clinical partners, on expiration dates. They don't want to pay for product that's going to expire on their shelf. We've seen shorter and shorter um, manufacturing dates on things where that has us thinking, okay, what does that look like for us long-term and how do we kind of move forward with that? Well, uh, you know, Emily, this is great. I do have one more question before we uh, kind of come to a close. You know, many of our listeners coming from the world of lean and and uh, improvement are all be familiar with the word Kanban and, you know, just a Japanese word that means card, but, and there's multiple different ways of, uh, of doing a Kanban, but it can be a predictive tool to help let you know, in addition to your PAR levels, that, hey, I'm about to get low, it's time to reorder, uh, but it also helps you so you don't keep too much inventory. It can help so that you can have quicker turnaround times. I, I remember in my old days of manufacturing, I would went into an area with a group and we took a uh, time to deliver from 30 days down to three days, you know, uh, using a, a Kanban system. Do you do y'all use that tool on any frequent basis there at the Ohio State University? <laughs> Yes, we do. Um, we are very fortunate that um, our inpatient and procedural units all have our tubing Kanban system. So we use a bin system. Um, a lot of healthcare companies are using it. Um, and a lot of hospitals that we've seen have started to use it as well, where you have kind of two bins and you'll have a par level for each bin. And really the indicator to reorder is once that first bin is empty, you'll pull a second bin forward. If still full of your product and supply chain will go and order that second bin for you. And so one, you're rotating your stock, you're managing your expiration dates, and you're also making sure that you're not overstocked or understocked on products. And so healthcare definitely took a page from the manufacturing book. And it's one that I think has got to stick around. Well, Emily, this has been awesome. I really enjoy your energy. And I know we've had some fun with the word the Ohio State, but really enjoy your energy and your enthusiasm. And I'm so thankful that Helen introduced us. And on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you so much for coming on Connecting the Dots podcast. And we hope that you'll come back again in the near future and share some of the great improvements that y'all continue to make there. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun and it's always fun to talk about healthcare and continuous improvement. Awesome. Thank you so Thanks. much. Thanks so much. Thank you, Emily.